for the Tourist Talks Trade Podcast, where we discuss timely topics in trade, national security, cybersecurity, and supply chain issues. I'm Donna Wedgworth, a Senior Trade Advisor at Tourist Trade Law, and my guest today is Mr. Anthony Saronchak, better known to us at Tourist Trade Law as Tony. Tony is a Senior Customs Advisor with the Tourist Trade Advisory Group, and he has extensive experience in customs and regulatory audits. Over two decades of experience working directly with U.S. Customs, and he spent most of that time as an assistant field director and regulatory audit. After his government service, Tony applied his vast knowledge of customs regulations to multiple positions in the commercial and private sector, and also as an independent consultant to the trade industry. And we're very pleased to have him as a part of the Torres team. So thanks for being here today, Tony. Thank you. Good to be here. Uh, This is actually Tony's second appearance in the Tourist Talks Trade podcast. Uh, Be sure and catch his conversation with our senior associate, Derek Kyle, discussing CBP audits in episode number five. Remember, you can find Tourist Talks Trade podcast on Spotify or iTunes or Amazon Music or most anywhere you get your podcasts. Uh, So uh, they're also available on our website at touristtradelaw.com. So let's move on to today's topic. Uh, recently, I was reading through the CBP Daily Digest Bulletin, uh, like a good trade compliance professional should be doing, and I noticed a message about an update to the Global Business Identifier Pilot Program, and I realized that I really hadn't heard much about that program since it was initially rolled out by CBP back in the fall of 2020. So I did some research to see what the current status of the program looked like, and that started a conversation with Tony. Uh, And it led to some interesting observations about fraud and identity theft in global trade. And in addition to that, it was a recognition of how customs global business identifier evaluative proof of concept or EPOC, uh, as they're calling it, is really just a microcosm of a much bigger global picture for not only what CBP's future is going to be, but also really the future of global trade and specifically global trade supply chains uh, on the importing side. So we wanted to share this with you today and discuss how it might impact your uh, business enterprise, particularly if you're importing. So let's jump right in. Um, Just a little background before we move too far in. So uh, currently, and Tony, correct me if I'm wrong on any of this, but currently there are two CBP codes that we want to mention so far. So number one is uh, if you're going to import into the United States, you have to have an importer ID number. That's also known as your importer of record number, and that's issued by CBP. And why do you need this? Well, mainly because the key piece of the information that's required by CBP regulations is part of the entry process. And without it, you can't complete an import. So that's number one. Number two, if you're importing textiles and apparel, the manufacturer is required to be identified by something known as an MID code. That's a manufacturer identification code. And this code is required by CBP to identify the actual manufacturer of the imported textile or apparel product. Now, I mentioned some words there that should already be resonating with our audience. Textile importing and identifying textile manufacturers. These are key words that everyone is hearing in global news right now, uh, particularly with regard to 
the identification and elimination of forced labor in our supply chains. And as we know, that has been rife in the textile industry in particular. So, um, so let's keep going now. So we, we know about those codes. Now, CBP's proposed program, their Global Business Identifier, or GBI, would consolidate and replace those two ID codes with one unique global identifier that will be used not only to identify the importer, but also to identify all of the entity roles and functions in the supply chain that are associated with those imported products. The GBI is one step toward CBP's larger one USG concept. Okay, this is to their goal is to unify reporting of all the trade transaction information into one method that synergizes all that data relevant to CBP and all the data relevant to their PGAs, our partner government agencies, into one platform. Uh, so, from an import perspective, the IOR and the MAD are two very important codes for CBP. So, Tony, start by telling us why is that IOR so important and why is CBP proposing this new harmonized importer ID system? So, the, the importer record number is, for most U.S. importers, it's their tax ID. And they just have to, that's the number they'll put on the application. And customs is just like authorizing that this can be used in the customs systems for, de, you know, for declarations and input entry. Uh, it can be a foreign entity that can get an IOR. Customs will sign it if they don't have a U.S. tax ID. <clears throat> So, and that number is important because that's who, that is putting down on official record who is responsible legally for that shipment. So, who is entering it? This is the entity that's responsible for it. This is the entity that's going to have to provide if Customs has any questions or inquiries that has to provide sufficient merchandise data and documents to support that declaration. And that can be an extensive amount of data and documents once you get in, start talking about free trade agreements, quota, anything with textiles, um, special duty prefer preferences, U.S. goods returns, U.S. goods approved abroad, uh, for sale for export, and even the, um, the special tariff provisions. Um, Customs is going to be looking at those they're probably just starting to look at those, whatever they're going to, to whatever extent to look at them. Because you have to remember, Customs has a five-year statute of limitations. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So they're usually behind in looking at things because of resources. And, right. and because they know there's this five-year window that they can go back and look at things. Right. And right. there's also been, in some cases, actually uh, rulings requested and court cases involving who the IOR actually was. And what happens is there's been parties that disputed that after the fact, usually when money gets involved, where one of the parties didn't intend to be the IOR, but was because they weren't mm -hmm. paying attention. And then for some reason, like anti-dumping or a free trade agreement, customs comes along, sees an issue, and they assess significant uh, duties and penalties. Then that wakes one of the parties up to say we didn't we never intended to be the IOR. But then you have a lot of resources involved to try and straighten all that out. 
So you want mm-hmm. to avoid that and be mm-hmm. more on top of things ahead of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just like with on an individual basis, there's a lot of identity thought, fraud, and theft of information, credit cards, SSNs. Now that's carrying over onto the business side with identity theft. Right. So it's an issue there also. So this, so clearly important. And so this pilot program, um, tell us a little bit about what you know about why, what CBP's goal here and what are they trying to do with the pilot okay. program. And, and the other thing that they've relied, that the other reason they're going forward with this to try and find one global identifier number that's more reliable. Another thing they've relied on in the past to do um, send resources overseas to other countries, mainly for textiles to review, actually go to manufacturing locations and see what they're doing. They've in the past have used the MID, the manufacturer ID number, a lot to do that. Mm-hmm. And that number, um, unfortunately, just hasn't been as accurate as they intended originally. It's based on a couple, it's a little like algorithm that's based on the manufacturer name, their address, and their city. And mm-hmm. the country code is the first two characters. And what's happened is over time where um, factories and suppliers have multiple addresses, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of countries have trade zones where you can have the warehouse and the headquarters are right next to each other, but different addresses. So the mids have kind of gotten diluted and not as consistent or reliable as was intended. Okay. So customs mm-hmm. with all this, because their customs is relying on that to do some targeting mm-hmm. and use their resources. So they're looking for a better way to do some of their targeting, but also help facilitate trade. And because customs has limited resources, also they don't want they don't want to waste time looking at shipments that they really don't need to. That makes sense. So they're targeting for enforcement is really Correct. these numbers are all identified. So uh, when we were looking at the specifics on the the, the pilot program, um, there the test that's currently running is offering three number options. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. One is familiar and one is maybe not as familiar to a lot of people. Right. So and again, they're, they want to run this pilot and the goal is to hopefully narrow it down to one number that they might proceed forward with. But the, so the three numbers are the DUNS number, which is the um, data universe numbering system. Um, that's by Dun & Bradstreet. That the common, the legal common to yep. most yep. every business. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's this is the, of the three, this is the most commonly used one, the DUNS number. The other number is a global location number that is sponsored by or run overseen by an organization called GS1. And that relates more to the barcode on products and identifying who owns that barcode. Uh, and the legal entity okay. identifier is the third one from the Global Global Legal Entity Identifier Foundation. So all these are separate organizations that self-govern. They're mm-hmm. separate from US Customs or any other customs or country. So they're trying to, Customs is trying to, if they can, I think, get to an identifier that's independent that they can rely on better. Okay, so independent outside of the government. So none, that makes sense that none of these numbers are being issued by Customs. So these are the ones that they're going to say, if we 
take this out to an independent authority to issue these numbers, then the goal would be to increase the reliability of the information, hopefully. Right. That's the goal. For okay. everybody. Yep. Okay, that makes sense. And so you mentioned that um, currently the IORs and the MIDs are very vulnerable to to bad actors, to fraud. So who's currently who's monitoring the IORs in the import traffic? And um trying to keep them from being hijacked. It sounds like that's what you're saying, that these there's really so little reliability in the IORs and even in the MID. So who's monitoring that right now? So it's really up to each importer to monitor their own trade data. Mm. What is being declared to customs under their IOR? Um, and it's the IOR that mainly is misused by illegitimate parties for business identity theft. If you're going to if you're going to misuse someone's number, you're not you're going to you're trying to evade the law somehow or, or bring in prohibited merchandise. So you're you're doing something that you're trying to get something in that you shouldn't or you're trying to evade duties. Okay. Um, so customs has limited IT resources to validate that field on an entry by entry basis. And mm -hmm. it really comes down to each port importer to be looking to have an ACE account set up so they have access to their data and they're looking at it on a regular basis. Um, you can so get that, and what, and what we're seeing is you can get that data from the brokers, um, but that's sometimes that's an extra step to get it. And a lot of companies what we're seeing now don't have the ACE account set up and it's taking time to get it because customs is getting so many requests at once. Mm -hmm. And I know that's something that you and I both have run into so many times over the years where uh, the importer relies very heavily on their agent, their broker, rather than taking the initiative to look at their own accounts in ACE. That's what that information is there for. Gives, and it's it's readily available then, right? So they can monitor it. Yes. Makes sense. And And that is unfortunately one of the easiest ways to check. And one I find that is, the least used really when when trying to uh, make sure and do a little internal inspection, a little internal audit to monitor your activity uh, rather than relying on a broker. So very important point for to remember that. Uh, now, specifically regarding the importing, tell us a little more about the issue of identity theft and what impact do you think that's having on U.S. imports and really global trade as a whole? Because it, this is this is getting pretty bad lately, yes? yes? So one level, of, one level of it, the first level of it is who's using your IOR. And that relates to sometimes brokers make just inadvertent errors because they're operating on the fastest data input that they can to get the entry the information in, and sometimes they use the wrong IOR. And then you add into that the other variable of parties out there trying to do illegitimate things, looking for an IOR to use. Mm -hmm. So you have to stay on top of this to identify any entries that aren't really yours, because if you have uh, an illegitimate party doing something, they're not gonna keep using your IOR over and over. They're going to use mm -hmm. it for a short period and then they're gone and no one's going to be able to find them. So the broker, the importer, 
that importer still on the hook. That's whose customer is going to come through first if they have questions mm -hmm. or inquiries on that. And over time, you with talking to them, you may figure out that, okay, it's not our entry, but it's going to take up your time. Customs is not out mm -hmm. to say, I gotcha, you know, you, this isn't your entry, you'll let it slip through. Mm -hmm. and, but they have to show if they are asking a question, you're asking it for a reason. And it's not just some random question they have probably targeted or something has come up in the industry that they're looking for. So it's going to take up your time to try and answer that question and show to some level it's not your entry. So it's easier to be proactive and find those ahead of time. And then you go right to the broker and say, what's going on here? This doesn't look like our entry. Not that makes sense. Makes sense. So. So not only is the IOR, the importer's IOR potentially at risk, uh, but it sounds like then that the identity of their legitimate supply chain entities could also be at risk for compromise under this current system, the MID system. True? Yes, because there's, you know, some, if you have related parties or sometimes there's multiple layers involved, sales and purchases, it, it can get complex to monitor who all those entities are because you're relying on the next person back. So mm -hmm. that's part of what this pilot program when it starts is trying to do. So these three numbers will not be required just for the importer, but if the importer wants to join this, Customs is asking that the importer goes back and get these for all the other ent entities back in the mm -hmm. transaction. Right. So they okay. would have to coordinate. It's a little bit of a burden uh, on the importer. So I don't know if everyone can do it, even if they wanted to. Mm -hmm. But it is it'll help, you know, your supply chain better if if these other entities have to have these numbers. Right. And that is echoing what we're hearing so much again with supply chain visibility, supply chain visibility. Right. This right. is another link in that chain that is putting, as you said, an obligation on the importer. It's more work, but you learn to do it now because you're going to have to do it later. This is this is showing us that this is not an if it's going to happen, it's a when it's going to happen. And not only yep. and, and not only when this is going to happen, but also uh, the potential for either you under as the importer or someone in your supply chain to be compromised by a bad actor. Right, because I, I think Customs definitely wants to move on to some new identification number. Mm -hmm. That's pretty clear because they've been discussing about this for a couple of years now, uh, and it's been in industry groups with representatives from trade and different industries that are kind mm -hmm. of want something better too. So it's like a joint concern of everybody. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, and and again, going back, once you start adding more parties into a transaction, uh, it gets hard to know who you're doing business with. And and some examples of that are like uh, I've seen examples of rogue truck drivers or rogue port or dock workers mm -hmm. um, that cause big companies for problem. You know, for importers where where a whole shipment got seized. And an example of that with a rogue truck driver was a shipment that we were helping this company prepare for ISA and we got into a discussion about this one shipment that got seized so they got a custom notice and a big penalty and everything mm -hmm. um it was a, a related party in Mexico 
So they had more control of the situation as far as who's the parties were. But mm-hmm. the one transportation company, the trucking company, had a road driver. And this was a, obviously a very well planned out scheme mm-hmm. where they were diverting the truck to a point before they got to the border with the U.S. They were using some heavy equipment, obviously, to take off the doors of the truck. Wow. And then they were putting prohibited merchandise on, putting the doors back on so they would not break the seal. And then the truck went on its way through the border, got cleared, and then they would divert it again. So they had people on both sides of the border they were coordinating with, mm-hmm. took the doors off, took the prohibited merchandise off, put the doors back on, and then went to the importer location. Well, they got caught one time because they forgot to put one of the pins back in in Mexico, putting the doors back on. And with CT Pat and all that, there's more of awareness of that by the CBB officers. They noticed it and they pulled the truck over for a more intensive exam and they Mm -hmm. found the prohibited merchandise and the whole truck was seized. So they had all those customers. They got the, the, the merchandise back eventually. Mm-hmm. But they had customers waiting for product that they couldn't get there on time. All of that's sitting there because now this has happened and there's no way to yep. to eliminate that delay. So even for a legitimate user, legitimate company. Correct. I mean, there's only so many customs is not looking for over the board. You know, we have to <laughs> observe every truck coming across or something. They're looking for reasonable care, due diligence. But you can't stop at all. And unfortunately, and there are going to be cases where you have shipments seized. And, mm-hmm. and one way that inadvertently some company officials do is around the holidays or something, they say, oh, I want a case of wine from somewhere or some cheese from somewhere, some type of gift food gift package you know, to give mm-hmm. out or something. And they have someone just put that on the back of the truck or on the container some of those just happen to get examined further and again the whole container can get seized if you have something prohibited you know, not only did you not declare it but you could have something on there that wasn't declared that's one issue okay. but when you have something prohibited that elevates the whole issue it's in del- and again a delay so yes. you have to monitor that chain so back looking back at the um at this new Global Business Identifier program with CBP, do you see some potential uh, benefits for importers moving to this the new identifier system? I think it's important to follow it, even if you're not going to be part of the pilot, to follow what's going on with it and see what works for each importer to assess what they're doing now and what they could be doing better in the future. Um, and that includes, so you would start by looking at um, talking to accounting and purchasing. How do they set up two vendors? What's their vetting process? And then what do they do after that? Are they part of CTPAT? And if they're not, is that something to, um, as a start, to get into? And that's because that's more like physical security related, not necessarily mm-hmm. business identity. But it would be a first good first step if you're not in it to start this process. Mm-hmm. Um, it's 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 a very intensive internal look at yourself mm-hmm. uh, and and to start everyone talking about what's going on because what they're eventually customs 
what CT Pat requires a little bit and what this eventual one identifier they're looking for is that not only does the U.S. importer have to go to the first entity back and say, what are you doing to monitor these identities? So then that party is supposed to go to the second party and ask that and to the third party on and on all the way mm -hmm. back so mm -hmm. that everybody is there's more assurance. Everybody knows who they're dealing with. And it, it sounds like simple at times, but it can get convoluted very easily. And I've seen import and export situations where I've been involved in investigations while at customs, where there were hundreds of shell companies and layers of bank accounts set up for money laundering, and nobody saw it. Nobody saw it. It was so layered and complicated that the U.S. importers didn't even realize they were part of it. So, so this is, we know that CBP is going to be moving forward with the pilot. Uh, we, in fact, there was a federal register notice that was published in March of this year, and that opened up a second round of public comment about the program. So we know they're moving forward. Um, also in the one USG working group that is a part of CBP, it's a part of the Commercial Customs Operations Advisory Committee or what we commonly know it as COAC. And uh, they mentioned it in their quarterly public meeting that was on June the 29th. So it's, it's a topic of discussion. It is a big push for CBP to get this done. Um, in fact, the acting director of trade policy and programs in CBP's Office of Trade, Gail Kahn, she said uh, in her comments in the uh, last COAC live meeting, uh, and quote, we are going forward with the Global Business Identifier Initiative. Uh, so that was a very positive statement. And she went on to say that CBP is, quote, super close uh, to having OMB approve the expansion of the test from the current nine participants onto all participants in the trade on a voluntary basis thus far, thus far. Uh, but we know this is happening, and at some point, it's not going to be voluntary anymore. It will be a requirement, so it's best that everyone stays aware of it now, right? Um, so when we combine that uh, with the clear message that customs and other government agencies are squarely focused on eradicating forced labor in our supply chains, that's a paramount enforcement issue, and we know that. So uh, what should an importer do with all of this information that they have now? Where where do they start? So they need to, you know, the first thing to remember is that compliance for this, as with most trade issues, it's continuous. So, and that's even more important with the supply chain, looking at what, assessing what you're doing now, talking to a third party if you need to about what's going on in the industry, because a lot of these companies are so cost sensitive that all these parties in the supply chain equation keep changing. So it's hard, it's complex to keep up with who you're doing business with and who all the entities are in that whole supply chain. Because now it's mm -hmm. now you have more warehouses involved, you have more touch points or entities involved that there's points where things could go wrong. Um, mm -hmm. A lot of companies are consolidating in, at a foreign inland point. So instead of the truck just going from the warehouse right to the port to get loaded, 
it's going somewhere, a, you know, a smaller shipment's going to a different place first where it's being combined with something else to have a full container. Mm-hmm. So again, you have more points, more people involved with things. You, you have to make sure you know who all those entities are. So every single one of those entities needs to be identified. And if we were putting that in this new pilot program, forward-looking, every one of those entities would need to have one of those identification numbers that that um, CBP is proposing. One of the three right now, they'll ultimately become yes. one, correct? Yes. So, so it's important now that the that an importer um, take those steps to so ensure that, that they know who you're doing business with. It's as simple as that, right? Yes. And I would say, of course, in trade compliance in general, uh, document, 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 everything, correct? Yeah. Correct. So they need that. Uh, and I know when I was in recently, um, the CBP held their, their big annual summit. And one of the things that was echoed was um, having a documentation and a system in place was a, was only half the equation. But in addition to that, uh, and to your point, Tony, when they're inspecting, they're doing their supply chain inspections, when they're uh, uh, doing their internal evaluations on these shipments and getting prepared for this, to ensure that there's some evidentiary information available in the event that their IOR or one of their manufacturer identification codes does get compromised and a shipment is delayed and contraband is discovered, then um, if the importer has taken due diligence to investigate their supply chain and has evidence that they can present to CBP to say, this was clearly done without our knowledge, that's where they need to be, right? Correct. And and another point to bring up is that uh, with, with manufacturers and suppliers, um, U.S. Customs has uh, data sharing agreements with a lot of countries. So Customs might know about a bad entity before the importer does, and you could have a shipment targeted. Customs is take, has a lot of internal data. They're trying to use part of this is that they're trying to use their resources the best way they can to find anything that's that's non-compliant or prohibited or illegitimate goods. So they want to have the best targeting process possible to keep the goods moving that don't need to be looked at and and to find stuff that they want to. Excellent. It's uh, it's another step in the process. Our our world is changing. Yeah. Uh, so our our global trade is changing and must change along with it. And uh, it is advancing clearly faster than than CBP can keep up, even if advancing quicker than a lot of the importers can keep up as well. But uh, forewarned is forearmed. This is going to happen. So uh, so importers do take heed. Um, this is this is going to be necessary. And uh, not only is the government watching, consumers are watching. It, that's uh, the social compliance efforts are very important now. Consumers are watching that. So all of this uh, plays into a much more broader global picture for for importing and for trade in general. So thank you for being here today, Tony. Uh, I think this is a very interesting topic. topic. 
It really is. And it's something that we're definitely going to come back to. So we're going to continue to monitor this. The pilot program is going on right now. CBP is going to continue with that pilot. We're going to keep monitoring this for you, and we're going to come back, and I'm sure we'll have more to talk about as uh, this pilot e eventually comes to fruition, and we do believe it will, and soon. Uh, so thank you for being here today, and thank you for listening, everyone. Uh, as always, you can catch uh, this podcast uh, along with all of the other Torres Talks Trade podcasts on uh, Spotify, uh, Amazon Music, iTunes, all of the places where you would normally get your uh, podcast and uh, if there's anything that we can help you with of course please do let us know and our information is always available on our website at torrestradelaw.com thank you so much and we'll talk to you again